Today, we have Roger Selsa, the owner of Eagle Grip Cattle Company. He's also a senior director at Alt Genetics. Thank you, Roger, for coming into this Pledge In podcast. Yeah, glad to be here, David. I uh, look forward to us having the conversation. Thank you very very much. So let's start from the very beginning. Where was little Roger born? I was born in Uruguay, in South America. In actuality, uh, my dad's family is Italian and my mom is Hungarian, but I grew up in Uruguay. So uh, I haven't lost the accent. How long did you live in Uruguay? I came to school to U.S. when I was 21. So that was a long time ago. Where'd you I go really, to college? Oregon State. Oh, Beeps. Yeah. Corvallis. So, Beaver, you follow the team? Yes, sir. The, the football team's supposed to be pretty good this year. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a football fan. Did, I, I, uh, I have Niners season tickets since the 80s. Oh, I thought you were a huge Seahawks fan. <laughs> I, actually, you know, my brother is from Ohio, and I'm a Buckeye fan. Oh, okay. Because forever, all we got for Christmas was a Buckeye stuff. I used to live in, in Western Washington, and my, my wife was a huge Seahawks fan. Oh, right, right. I unfortunately have family that moved out from North Dakota and Minnesota. That's, that's kind of my background, my lineage. And so I suffer as a Vikings fan. Well, I've been a Niner fan since Montana. Only won two games in this first season. Oh, okay. So, and... Uh, and then it became one of the greatest. Yes. The 80s and, and part of the 90s were pretty amazing. Is he so, better than Tom Brady? Is Montana better than Tom Brady? Yeah, we should have had Tom Brady. He's, he's just uh, a few miles down the road from uh, Candlestick. So my question is, is Montana better than Brady? Oh, no. Well, M- Montana was pretty good. You have to get credit. Nobody has as many Super Bowls. And with Brady, my opinion is he had some targets. He never had tremendous marquee players every year when he's winning. So I always consider, you know, some good players, but he didn't have a Jerry Rice. And, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of those guys that were, you know, tremendous receivers or anything. And he made it work. And he made it work with a whole array of different players. And, uh, you know, to me, it's the greatest of all time. So when you went to Oregon State, was it for animal sciences? Actually, they, I did my master's on reproductive physiology. I, I had already graduated with ag engineering, but my passion always lay with the reproduction part and especially the AI. I guess you can, I can, all, I always say, you know, from a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. AI was my passion. I started breeding cows when I was 14 at home and, uh, um, you know, I done I, and that, I had done sheep, I had done goats, cattle, horses, even bees. I did a lot of research in bees for AI. So then I had the opportunity to come and, and work here. And I uh, really impressed and in love with the country. And I, I had the opportunity to stay. Then I got married and, you know, the rest is history. But it wasn't always easy. Cowboy for, I cowboy right after college because... The mess of being a cowboy was pretty good and pretty heavy on my mind, but <laughs> I realized as a man, it's a lot of hard work. And um, I see my first job, I, I worked six months and I only had two days off. So, and I didn't pay a whole bunch. And you're married, oh. married with how many kids? I had two boys. They're older now. They're, they're one is 30 and the other one's 28. Do they work and, farm with you? Uh, they decided they want to do something different because 
their phones and their work don't get out in the middle of the night. They don't blow. They don't, you don't go through droughts. You don't go on the heat and the cold and the rain. Uh, so they decided to do uh, something else. After college, how long did it take for you to start your own herd? Uh, about a year and a half. You know, after I was working as a cowboy, I, I went to manage a large dairy here in California. Uh, so I was managing dairy for 10 years, mainly, you know, working in the reproduction part of it, which, you know, that was kind of my passion, you know, all the, and I had the opportunity to work with the University of Davis because the company I work for had six different herds very close together. Um, and we can run simultaneously a lot of different uh, studies. So I learned I learned a bunch just working with the university people, just running, you know, from colostrum to uh, reproduction and sink programs and treatment for retained placentas. Um, did a whole bunch of studies. So I was very fortunate. And the company was great to work with. I was just talking to a friend last week who actually kind of grew up around a dairy. He didn't so much grow up in a dairy, but his very first job for about 13, 14 years old was working on a dairy. I grew up in the dairy industry. And he and I were kind of sharing is when you are in the dairy industry and it kind of formulates those early years, your animal husbandry is a lot different than with the beef herds. It's very intense. Yeah. You know, we, there was a time where we had, um, had issues with the feeding and we had a lot of displaced avomasum. So we had the bed doing surgeries about every day. So before long, I learned to do the surgeries. The management says, you know, you might kill a few cows, but it's going to be a lot more economical if you do it in-house. And uh, so I had done the C-section, uh, hardware surgeries, you know, displaced supplements, uh, you know, putting ureters back in. I mean, you name it. Because, you know, the, the whole company had about 20,000 heads. So it was it was very large and, and very, very progressive. So it, it really... Uh, it really was an astounding part of my career, I guess you can say, because I learned a lot. To this day, I can spot a calf about ready to scour about a day before it scours. Once you've been on a dairy and, and you experience that kind yeah. of stuff, day after day after day, you, you kind of get a third sense. Yes. Yeah. We had issues with calves too. I, I learned to IV calves. They're already sick and that's not easy. Feet. You know, you lose the touch. I, I have a harder time now than I haven't done it for so many years, but... Uh, um, and same with the uh, pregnancy. When I was at the dairy, I can palpate cows and take pregnancies around 35 days. I still do all my repro at home, uh, but I try to stay somewhere around the 40 day mark because I lost the feeling. I don't do enough to really keep that feeling in your fingers. And so I still do all the repro work at home. So you, you were on the dairy for 10 years and then that's when you started your own herd? Well, I started with, uh, you know, commercial. And from commercials, I, I went to, uh, little, because it was a tough situation, you know, to get into the rest of her, to, um, you need some capital. And, uh, when I left college here, I didn't even own a car. So it's, it's, uh, it was a learning curve and, you know, uh, um, so I started with what I can afford and moved from commercials to clubbies and then. Start buying some registered herds and and build from there. I remember my first registered Angus cow came from the dispersal of 
stay in Texas. This is a long time ago. Because this is, you're talking about the 80s. Do you remember the Cal family? It was a galaxy. It was, um, you know, a lot of the R&J, you know, had a lot of calf breeding from Don Hoff. Yeah, big so, cows, um, big cows. Yeah, yeah. So, but, and, and in that time, you know, and I think that I really like the concept, they were really into the Corbender type of cattle, you know, where you have moderate birth weight, but a tremendous growth, a, a big framey, you know, 15, 1600 pound cows. And, and I know that that doesn't work for every environment, but our area, it, it was pretty good. And I've always been a fan of, a, you know, just a little brink bigger frame cattle. So kind of lean into that a little bit. What is the size of your average cow? Uh, 1,500 pounds. Frame six? Yes. Yes. How many? I think that that's that. That probably doesn't work in some of the areas, you know, like the desert areas, like New Mexico, Wyoming and stuff like that. You probably have to tame it down a little bit. Uh, but if you manage them right, um, I think that six frame cow is very functional, very, uh, you know, and it takes the right genetics. Not, not every genetics works in some of those environments. Some can carry a, you know, heavy, big cow and do okay. And some genetics just don't work for them. What I like about a six-frame cow, it seems like it's kind of a sweet spot, right? You can almost breed anything to them. You're not going to breed to a five and end up with a four. You know, you still probably end up closer to a six. You can breed them to a seven. You're still going to end up with six. You might get an outlier every now and then. That's just the way it works. I like, that's where I like my herd is right around six because it gives you so many options. You know, the challenge, David, I find that it is a lot harder to have a good functional, bigger frame cow than a medium-sized cow. And it takes a lot of generations to get those great ones. I can take those great cows and the first generation, I can tame the frame and, and bring it to a five and a half or a five, depending on the bull I use. But to get a good cow to get a frame six and it's good and functional and good udders, good feet, not as easy. No, no, I don't, I don't have the answer as to why, but that's just my experience. I can make very good cows that are a lot smaller, but it takes me a lot, a lot more to figure out and, and how to make, uh, to maintain the frame six with all the good attributions, you can say. Do you think it's because right now in the breed, there seems to be a, better population on phonetically correct bulls at the smaller um, frame size. You know, you, you can find them more in that frame five, five at six range. Once you start going above that, in my experience, you don't see as many phenotypically correct bulls. No, that, and that is true. I mean, that, that I, I, because, you know, in my experience, when people come and buy bulls off the ranch, when they call on the phone, they say, oh, I, I want a modern... And I wanted them uh, range ready. Yeah. You know which ones, what bulls go out first? The, the big biggest, ones. the biggest, fattest one. So it's, it's a little bit of a contradiction. And there's no one to blame, but M6 bull, there's a good condition. We'll always outsell a smaller bull when you put them in. You know, it's like I here in California, that. I have a hard time selling a small frame bulls. People just don't want it. And you know, we, I like to go to the bull test. It's one of the things, you know, we show cattle for 10 years and we did great. But my problem was that we were doing so good. People wanted to compete against us and didn't want to buy our cows. They would go everybody sells because 
It became like a challenge. Said, we want to beat them. And so instead of coming and getting my genetics, they were getting somebody else's to beat me. And I said, you know, I did the show and to show what kind of program. And in those days, early days, you know, the, the show ring uh, was an influence for the industry. The EPDs were just getting started and stuff, and they didn't have that much story. So the show ring, you know, was for, you know, people seeking some genetics. Well, it, it didn't, I love the showing, but it didn't really translate it. And people knocking on my door, uh, trying to, instead it was going against me. So after 10 years of that, I quit. I just went mainly performance. I love technology. Uh, um, and some of my series and the strategies might be different than some, but um, it is what works for us. Now you brought up Cal Poly. Uh, you've hit some out of the park up there. You know, we've been very fortunate. Uh, we, we had, I think high selling bull for three years in a row and we had some of the champions there. And uh, then, uh, three years ago, we started taking balls to Midland and we've done very well there. Heck, last, last year at Cal Poly, our average was 8,200 per bull. And, and uh, this year at Midland, I think we averaged somewhere around 6,750. So. I like to measure my cattle against the other competition to see how we perform. Uh, I like some of the other people, if those wolves of mine don't make the cut, I usually just beef them. And, you know, not, not, um, some bulls are a little bit immature. Some bulls are just, uh, come to the party a little bit later. But I think the majority of the commercial guys sells cattle at weaning. Yeah. And a lot of them don't even background them or anything. They just gather the cattle and put the calves on the truck and off they go. That is, to me, is a sweet spot. Those cattle to yield the weight so people can be having a sustainable operation. I fully agree with you. That's kind of, that's how I'd kind of deal with my own operation is I got to create bulls that are pounds on the ground at weaning. Yeah. And I mean, Several theories. I know that some guys that run in big country and stuff like that don't want to have cabin problems. But, you know, from the onset in our herd, I, I did a lot of pelvic measurement. And can anything that was small, it just continued to do that. And my heifers can calve 95-pound calf and don't look back. Um, the idea is when you use cabinese, 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 you start losing pounds. Agreed. Um, if you look at it at the states, they have some snow and stuff. The smaller calves never catch up. They don't do well in cold weather. You need a little bit more, a little bit more weight and a little more, more, you know, vigorous calves. And the super Cavanese bulls don't deliver that. There are several studies. I read one from the University of Illinois where it proves that a small Cavanese bull calf will never catch up to a 10 pound higher. So, um, tempi hired calves, you know, they usually perform a lot better and throughout the life. So, um, I know that U.S. mainly puts a lot of focus on Cavanese. Uh, I like to stay more around modern birth weight. And I think people sometimes don't understand the EPD when you look at, at birth weight EPD, what the difference is between Two and a half, three and a half pound calf and a four and a half, five pound calf. The difference is a couple of pounds. And if your heifers cannot handle two pounds more, you have some issues. Where do you like to be at for birth weight? You know, for marketing purposes, I have to have some lighter birth weights. 
if it's if I was just doing it for myself, I want to be somewhere around the eighty pounds. If I get under so, seventy, I get on heifers, man. on cows, man, I I I don't mind the bigger calf, you know. And if you're doing commercials and your cows can have them, hey, an 85, 90 pound calf will bring you a lot more money than that 65, 70 pound. I'm, I'm not a happy guy if I got one out there under 70 pounds. Yeah. I actually had a couple this year out of heifers that were like that. And it wasn't, you know, like you said, it takes forever for them to catch up if they do. And You know, and the then, other thing that I think is very interesting, sometimes people don't, don't use it, is I want the first guy heifers to be gaining weight till about six months pregnant. From then on, I'd rather they maintain or they lose a little bit. So we use a different management. So my calf, we hardly ever, I don't even remember when we pulled that calf. Because the greatest gain on the fetus comes in the last trimester. So if you're going to run heifers on corn stock before the calf, you better get ready for the calf puller because they, you know, those fetus can, can gain three or four pounds. So... You multiply that, but, uh, you know, three months, you can have a pretty big gap. Now, one that's been just, just maintained and, or maybe lost a little weight, you know, those, those girls have easy. So and how many you have to be, you have how, to be prepared for them, you know, so when you want to breed them back to be in the game. Sorry, Roger. So how many head are you uh, running that down there in California? Here at home, we probably maybe somewhere around 120 head of cows, but we have, I mean, we had cattle all over, I guess you can say. We had cattle in Iowa. We had cattle in Wyoming. Um, I do a lot of embryo transfers, so I do work with our local vets here in Turlock, and, and we do a lot of, we transover. So we run a lot of, uh, of just commercial recipients. So, and I find that a lot of people think crazy, but I, my theory is I can have a young cow proven by the time she has a fur. It costs a little bit more. But, you know, she will have five, six calves. So what that does to me is extends the life of a great producing cow. If I wait until she has six, seven cows, six calves to call her proven, man, my, my productivity on that cow is in half, which I identify them early. You know, it's an investment. You identify them early. And then the ones that don't count it become recipients. And the ones that do their trip, they do that at an early age. And, and to me, that's, that's where it's at. And then you have all the other effects. I know that people look at APDs and there, there's a group of people that don't really like them, but you know, it's one of the best tools we have. And I don't know why, well, I guess genetically, you know why that each generation should be, if you're using the right genetics, each generation is going to be better than the last. But it seems like the APDs, when it comes to older cows, they start losing their shine. I have cows that are 13 years old that raise you a hell of a calf, but you look at the EPDs and a lot of those traits are below average because they just got passed. It's not that they're bad. They just got passed by the new generations. And I, I don't know if that it's a problem that can be solved or not, but there's still a lot of cows. And I well, honest, say, honestly, Roger, I don't, I don't know if AAA has incentive to fix that problem. It's been complained about for years and years and years about those old cow, cows getting passed by. But as far as those EPDs go, you know, that's just, that's how they advertise. That's how they sell these cattle. You know, a big part of membership, they don't want to fix that problem because that's how they sell these cattle. 
And that's 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 the other you know that's the other challenge that we have because when you look at an animal or a cell or whatever, and you look at it, what grabs your attention? It's either the really low ones, they say, man, there's no much there, or the really big ones, because that it attracts you to look. And so, you know, when when you're looking at semen cells, nobody wants vanilla. Everybody wants the next humdinger. And so what attracts people to looking at a product, and there's thousands of bulls available, is that uniqueness or maybe a outstanding uh, package of numbers. And then you go look at it. I, I I do that when I source through catalogs to look at it. I have to, there's so many available, there's so many bulls available that you have to sort them somehow. So I sort them by EPDs and then I go look. So I use bulls because I will not buy one that's good looks without EPDs or great EPDs without the look. I think that it's, people say that you can't have both and I, I believe that you could. There's enough cattle around you can have, you know, good trays, good EPDs, and get good looking, functionally good adders, good feet. So that's, you know, that's my theory. How many bulls do you sell a year between the TAS and, and, and private treaty? Probably somewhere around 60 to 80, depending on the year. Okay. I would assume most of that's private treaty. We do a lot of private treaty, but we go to, we have an invitational sale coming up on Sunday at Visalia here in California. Oh, okay. And then we have another consignment sale. We don't have our production sale because putting up production sales, a lot of work and a lot of time and effort. And it, you know, with my job, it makes it very difficult. So we go to a lot of consignment sales and we go to the, you know, bull test. So Visalia has an invitational to sell celeb breeders and they sell somewhere around 140 bulls. Uh, then here, 20 minutes from the ranch is the Turlock sale. And that's open to consigners, uh, to all consigners. And, you know, we, we had the Capoli bull sale there in October and then in April, uh, Midland bull sale. Right, that sounds good. Where you're at in California, is that mostly irrigated ground? We got both. We have some hill country. Uh, you know, for the ranch, and then we have irrigated pastures. Oh, okay. So we fortunate in a way um, because you can run a lot of cows on our irrigated pastures. Sure. You know, you, we usually in two and three head per acre. So we had to, because the, the, you know, the unit numbers I use per acre is pretty high, I had to feed in the winter. So we probably feed, you know, depending on what, how many head we have around, starting probably. I like to start maybe December, sometimes depending a little earlier, and we pretty much feel till March. So, do you put up your hay, hay down there? I used to, but not anymore. It, it, you know, a long time ago, well, not a long time ago, 10 years ago, it was cheaper to buy hay and have all the equipment and stuff like that. And so we quit doing it and uh, uh, we increased the numbers. And, and it seems like since then, price of hay has skyrocketed. I think last year, we average somewhere around 400 bucks a ton, which is pretty high. Um, you know, we use combination of uh, uh, forage mix, oat hay, wheat hay. Uh, we also use a lot of almond holes because we're an almond country. So, yeah. Uh, three, four years ago, I was paying $66 a ton for almond holes. Last year, I went up to like 320 bucks a ton. Yeah. Do they grind those up? Do they grind those up so they're? No, we don't grind it. We we use, you know, we have a vertical 
Okay, chopping feed I'm wagon. Talk, I'm talking about the holes. The holes. How do no, they eat let, those? The hole comes. They they eat them whole. Really? Uh, I mean, cows love it. It's very rich in sugar, so it has a lot of energy. Um, you have to accost, you know, get the cattle accustomed to little by little because you can get some bloat. But once they get used, to it, you can feed them uh, without any hay. So it's pretty much one pound of hay, one pound of almonds okay. compared to hay silage, which is per one pound of hay compared to three pounds of silage. So and silage here has skyrocketed too. I think right now they're paying probably ninety bucks a ton on the uh, on the field. So it makes it it makes it pretty tough. So by the time you get it home, it's gonna be somewhere, and then you you know you have to bag it because most people don't have it. So. You're looking at around three hundred and ten, three hundred and twenty dollars a ton. It's it's pretty tough. So ha- have hay prices fallen in California? Up in the Not northwest, they have. We're we're uh, just bought some hay, some oil, hundred and twenty, and then probably another twenty bucks to the levers, so hundred and forty bucks, which is uh, what it was last year. And where'd you bring it in from? It, it's just just local, about an hour away. Oh, okay. I I've been buying from the same guy. He does grain hay and, and uh, alfalfa for a long time. So, you know, we were really fortunate because after the drought, uh, last fall, California mainly gets around 12 inches of rain, you know, on average. And it mainly comes from November to March. Uh, last year, we got 21 inches. And it mainly came in two storms. So we got flooded. I saw a video on that. Were you out there in your rowboat chucking cows? Not us, but I, we had going under in our pastures. That's how much water we had. So it's a battle, you know, we, we get droughts and then they cut our water back and then we go and our, our reservoirs are full now and we can pretty much irrigate. I mean, we're still in the 90s right now. So we can irrigate till about end of October. So, you know, the alfalfa guys can get eight to 10 cuttings depending on what area in California. So California has a lot of pluses if we didn't have the politicians, this would be a great state. Well, that's another conversation. All right. Well, hey, thank you for insight into, into your program. We'll talk a little bit more about it here in a bit. But uh, I want to jump into your your other career at Ulta, at Ulta Beat. Well, you know, I, I started, uh, I was recruited. Uh, I've been with a company 35 years. So, and I was at the dairy. And, you know, I had my herd, but still was doing the dairy because I was growing and you know, I started with no capital, so I still had to work and build from there. I started with doing a lot of the international marketing part. Uh, then uh, I became really involved, like in 2005, in the uh, beef program for Alta. So, and, you know, we have we have beef bowls in many countries. You know, we have a facility in Argentina. We have a facility... In Brazil, Argentina, we probably somewhere around 180 bulls in the stud. In Brazil, we probably have somewhere around 500 bulls in the stud. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, we have three facilities here in U.S. and we have three facilities in Canada. We have a facility in the Netherlands. Uh, we have a facility in China. So I think it's sometimes people don't realize that it's very global and um you know, and now we're part of the Euros company. So, so now uh, Gen X is a sister company for us. And of course, then you had the Galoption company, Saskatoon. Uh, we have software companies. Uh, uh, it's a 
array or, or sister companies that go on to, under the group Euros. All right, well, let's take a break right there. I'm going to throw in an advertisement, and then we'll come back and talk about your current role with Altair. Own livestock? Eventually, you will own dead stock. You insure your farm, equipment, and vehicles for financial loss, and you can insure your cattle as well. With Creek Insurance, you can insure your whole herd or individual animals. Call 360-266-8000 for a no-hassle quote, or go to insuremybull.com to start your own mortality policy. Don't allow dead stock to become a financial burden. Go to insuremybull.com and get your cattle insured. All right, we're back with Roger Sosa. Sosa? Actually, I butchered that. Roger Sosa from Alta Genetics, and we're going to talk about his current role with the company. Um, you know, I oversee the beef programs globally. So, um, do a lot of the parts and all the facilities that we have around the world. I'm very involved in the sire procurement. And like I said before, I've been with the company 35 years. And the AI industry has always been my passion. So from early age, this is all I ever wanted to do. If I wanted to be a full-time rancher, I could have been, but I, I just I just enjoy the industry. And, you know, as I'd be with a lot of rewards and a lot of challenges. So are you part of the procurement, you know, the, the purchasing of the animals? Yes. So I, what, what goes into that? What, what, makes, what makes you guys decide that this is the sire to purchase? You know, a lot of people don't realize how much uh, work and effort goes into just to find one sire. Unfortunately, the way the system works, you don't get information on, on bull cells usually until uh, about two or three weeks before the sale. The problem is there's thousands of bulls selling every week and you have to do the research and you have to go out and travel through the country, look at the progeny, look at the siblings, look at the whole array of how these cattle perform and how the matings work and what work and what doesn't. And we fortunately, we're, we're on the road, you know, six months a year, just looking at cattle. And that gives us an, gives you an advantage, what work, what doesn't, what people's wanted in different areas and what bulls work here but don't work someplace else uh, what bulls work for us but probably don't work for argentina and people say well those guys are competitors i says yeah there are competitors when it come to bees but the deal is us is a leader in genetics and we export our genetics you know that's and that's what really the combination of both is what funds all the research that we do um, in terms of, you know, the cattle and, and our focus is you can say that trumps everything is fertility. Uh, we start, our bulls get sampled right away when it comes to the program that produces semen. Uh, we sample them in the dairies because we can get the information right away and find out what bulls stick and what, what average and what are excel. From there, we send you know, if a bull don't perform, we just get rid of them right away. The other one is we run extensive fertility tests in Brazil, where you have the challenges of climate, terrain, labor, uh, synchronization protocols, and see what bulls work. Besides our very strict quality control in our lab, uh, the bulls that look good in the lab sometimes don't do good in the field. We are still doing research as to why, but we don't, we don't have the answer to it. Some bulls can be really marginal in the lab and you put them in the field and they do great. 
um, that has a group that just only focuses on doing research. And the research is mainly on the fertility issues. Because at the end of the day, you can have a great bull, but if he doesn't get the cow pregnant, you got nothing. So that's the animal. Cow- ki- that, that's kind of the problem with the animal kingdom. You ever have a cow that you look out there and you know, you know she's going to put down great calves year after year. So, and there's, you can't, you can't figure it out. No matter how you breed her, she just doesn't do what you want her to. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a theory way then when I started that, you know, fertility was very low herd ability. Over the years, we came to find out that the herd ability and fertility is much greater than what we once thought. And if you look at your own herd, a cow that gets behind every year, the daughters usually get behind every year. And it is tough to call your good cows because whatever happened, they got late 30 days. Well, if you have a streak coming like I do, if you're not on that frame, I always say it's only one cow gets a pass and I, I better love her. Otherwise, if you cannot calve in that period where my calving season is, then you become a recipient or you become, um, you know, Hamburger. 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 because, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to keep an open cow. It does. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, on social media, there's a lot of backlash against the, what was big, maybe big fives, you know, the studs. What is there? Five of them that are kind of like the main, the main ones, but there's a it's lot. It's only of four stuff. now. Four. Okay. Four. And, and soon to be less because ST and select are merging. So. Uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, select sires does deserve some, some bashing. I don't know what they got going on over there, but the last four or five years, their lineup has been atrocious. You know, fortunately for us, I guess you can say ABS is a public traded company in UK. So they had to divulge the information and select is a co-op. So they also had to divulge their financials. So we, we know what's going on and it's our business is very tough. People saying, oh, you buy a bull and you start billing money. That is completely the opposite. Our margins are so low. I mean, the proof is the price that we used to pay 20 years ago, it's reduced in half now. Well, but our well, costs are going up. Well, Roger, it is kind of unfathomable. I, I know you guys don't participate in this, but, you know, where these guys go up and buy a, cow, a bull, the buy a bull from Shaw for $250,000. Just, just common sense and simple economics says the likelihood of that bull making money is probably... 0.001%. I mean, that takes an amazing amount of semen to sell it. All the costs that are involved in marketing, you, you got to ship it, you got to freeze it. You got all these incredible look, costs. Look at, look, at it this, look at it this way, because we do a lot of custom collection. Too. On average, if you bring a bull to get collected, by the time you get them through CSA, which is a requirement to be, you know, on a stud, uh, you run about 10 weeks of tests to make sure that you don't bring anything else to, you know, your herd population. And, uh, and the cost per unit is somewhere around seven bucks. That's just the cost of production. Now you want to, you want to let people know how you have, yes, you can do some on social media, but that, and mar- that's and marketing ain't cheap. Marketing is not cheap. Yeah. And then if you got an ad on the Angus Journal, probably going to run you around 1300 bucks. You want a full page color at 1300 bucks. Well, by the time you put a thousand units, you're going to spend 30 grand, uh, getting the bull, just getting it started. 
you have to sell a lot of semen around 25 bucks to make that money. Yeah, and you're competing with thousands of bulls. So, and you're competing with the guy that comes into the yard or the, somebody that can deliver. And, you know, there's so many variables. They have an influence. And, and the reality is there's so few major studs. Because so me, mark, if you're not doing everything right, you won't last in business. So, Roger, give me an idea. Is, is the customer driving the studs or the studs driving the customers? The customer, because it's a marketing thing. I cannot impose my beliefs on you, not anybody else. If somebody asks me, like we talk around, I can tell you what my theories are. From there, I believe the key is to listen to what the consumer wants and try to buy the best possible options for what they want. I, People say, well, you need maternal, you need maternal, you need longevity. Somebody asked me for that stuff. The reason I asked that question. I feel like a couple of these studs, my name Slug Sires right out of the gate, I feel like they are actually driving the customer. When you look at the the options that are available in their in a book, if you like Angus that look like Wagyu and have four hundred C, they're your people. But the the options with them got more and more limited each in each and every single year. Now that they're joined ST, I think it's gonna look a lot different. But I, a few of these, like, I'll, I'll even knock Breedling. I like Breedling. I got the catalog, I think, two weeks ago. Unless you like Shaws and Sits, there really is an option in that book. Right. Um, so well, here's like, a little bit of different because they're a co-op. They have members. I, and so the member buys their semen with the, uh, and pays full price with the hopes they're going to get a rebate at the end of the year for being of that. And that works really well when you're making money. But when you're not making money, you don't get no rebates. So the idea, the concept is good, but you go focus on one type of animal and that's what they have and that's what they offer the membership. And a lot of the membership buys that. So, you know, it's, it's, even, it's even a little tougher because on the dairy part of it, because you're a member, most of the semen you buy from the co-op and, and hopefully you get some rebates. But, they haven't done a lot of rebates so the last few years. So, um, you know, it is interesting that people sometimes believe that, oh, the studs do this and the studs do that. They want to dictate. At Alta, we don't dictate. It's that the, the, the customer has the, the reins. They tell us what they want. They tell us what genetics. They, it is tough to make it having the product that people's looking for. Imagine trying to sell your own idea and the other stuff, it just doesn't work. And you guys at Ulta, I'll even throw in Gen X, you guys have a pretty big breadth of the options, right? You would open up the catalog and you see a bunch of Angus Wagyu with a uh, 400C, and then that's basically your only options, other than maybe a couple of show bulls. You guys kind of got, got an error all over the place. And you have the, the 400C Wonderlinks, and then you got, you got the, the phenotype guy, bulls that people want. You guys have some pretty solid options in, in those catalogs. You know, I, I, we started going a little, I'm a believer, I guess it shows a little bit that our, our um, growth bulls are the great majority because I'm a believer that no matter how you shake it, the producer gets paid by the pound. So we added, we've been adding a lot more cabinets and modern birth ways, but at the end of the day, our major focus is Angus. And uh, we carry some of the other breeds, but uh, uh, there's not as big a demand. And so 
our theory always been, you know, just try to try to get the best, you know, the breeds that really people want and uh and have some other great genetics on the smaller breeds. Uh it it's um you know, people sometimes are saying are you know, when you put it all in perspective, the and stuff like that, uh our cost for a stall per day is thirty two bucks. So that's some of the financials that sometimes people don't understand and that's why that's why stats are disappearing because our margins are very low and you know, you just can if you have some bubbles, it's very costly. And right. so at the end of the day, we have to provide we're just providers of what the genetics that people really are after. And okay. and we the the consumer drives uh the direction. Mark your calendars for Monday, November 20th. The Green Springs Bull Test in Nevada, Missouri will be selling over 60 performance-tested bulls. The bulls have been on a 120-day test with GrowSafe technology, tracking their feed, efficiency, and growth. All bulls have been screened for disposition, passed their BSE, and scanned for carcass merit. Some of the sires represented are Growth Fund, Fireball, Sterling Pacific, and there's even a Bruin Envy. There will be a female offering from both Birgo, Beef Genetics, and Garden Angus Ranch from the heart of the herds. For more information, go to greenspringsbulltest.com or you can find them on Facebook. All right, well, we're going to move on to something else. We're going to play a little game I actually do with everyone that comes on here. Yours is a little different because normally I, I go after bulls that people have used, but you, I'm going to more or less kind of go after what's in the Alta catalog, but I know there's a bull that you did use that's in here that you've done extremely well, especially at Cal Poly. I'm going to give you a bull, the name of a bull, and give me one or two sentences. Okay. Hoover, no doubt. No doubt was an outstanding bull. Um, for every, everywhere you can look at it. I had the pleasure and the fortune to have him here the last two years of his life, um, to have him at home at the ranch. Uh, Good footed, outstanding disposition, and great performance. And was a really a, a, the sweetest bull I ever been involved with. All right, next one, Connelly, Big Valley. You know, Big Valley was a, a pretty good bull. Um, it came from the no doubt lines. Uh, a bull that maybe had the uh, explosive growth that no doubt showed on the calf, but it's still pretty good. They, you know, the daughters got great otters. Um, you know, a bull that was used, and we had no semen on him. Either of those two bulls, we sold everything until the day they it, they were no longer around. Is Big Valley, is he deceased? Pardon? Big, Big Valley, he's not deceased, is he? No, I didn't get it. Sorry, Dad. Oh, it, it, he's not dead, is he? Big Valley? Yeah, he, he is, she's dead. Oh, he is? Yeah. He's fairly fairly young bull. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, the reason well, I brought, the reason I brought it, up Big Valley is because about two years ago, I couldn't get Alta sent me a catalog for, for the life of me. And I reached out to you, messaged you through uh, Facebook. And one day later, a catalog showed up directly from you overnight. I ended up purchasing Big Valley. And I have a smoking heifer out of Big Valley right now. My gosh. She is a, an improvement over her dam. who's a really good cow. But so far, I've been really, really excited with her. No, Next- I have quite a few daughters here at Big Valley. And and they've done a great job. Next one is Bear Mountain Justice. Well, Justice, you know, uh, Bear Mountain was a herd originator in California. 
I know Brian Stoller, since he was in 4-H and show here at the local uh, county fair and stuff, the hardest kid I ever know. And, uh, he moved from here to Idaho and from Idaho went to Nebraska. And, uh, very great functional cattle and cattle that, uh, you know, fits the commercial garden. Just as this, you know, I'm using Justin at home. Actually, I'm, I'm flashing some cows to him. You know, it's complete. I've seen a lot of the cattle there at Bear Mountain, and, man, I was really, really pleased. You know, moderate birth weight, uh, you know, a frame probably five eight to 6. Is he a touch bigger uh, than Justify? He is a little bit bigger, than, yes. yes. Justify, Justify was very moderate. Yeah. Just adds a little bit more, a little bit more rib, a little bit more stature. Uh, probably for a Cabinese bull, is, he has pretty nice hip. Kind of really clean, flown in, and, and good footed. So that's a bull that I really like. Like I say, I'm flashing to him. All right, next one is Byro Winston. You mean Byro Winston? Yeah. Winston is a frame frame bull, really, with a lot of performance. Um, I would say he's probably somewhere around six. And this person, if you need to add some frame to the cattle, uh, Winston will do it. Good footed, good looking bull. You know, great top line, uh, but it's he, he will be he will be running along the bigger frame bulls that we have. I had to mention him because in the next episode, I have uh, Drew and his brother. Um, I'm interviewing them. They're very great people. I I really enjoy working and talking to them. So the Berigos are are you know they're very legit. They they try to do everything and and uh, they run a pretty good program. Ellenson Three Rivers. Which three one? Rivers. Three Rivers. Ellenson. Ellenson Three, three Rivers. rivers. You know, Three Rivers is a very interesting bull. I, I, um, I, uh, he was sold through the, uh, cell and went to some commercial guys. And then I went and see the progeny. Man, the progeny was really nice. So we did Alta Deep purchase the bull. You know, uh, Chad had a, uh, interest on the bull and then two other commercial guys. I, I don't believe the EPDs are correct on him. I don't think that they're, their stature is as high as the APE shows. Uh, I they have pretty nice feet, and um, the progeny is just outstanding. I I I think he's the kind of bull that will give you, on average, more frame six than bigger than that. At Crocodile's bull sale in March, he had a bunch of sons out of Three Rivers, and they they carry a lot of muscle. Uh, very athletic bulls, long. Just the, what I I like. Uh, muscle muscled up bull i don't like them deep and soggy i know a lot of you like them deep and soggy but i like them muscled up uh with some athleticism and that that's what they had all right next one is Poss wrangler you know Poss wrangling is, is uh that interesting bulls and i i used them heavy here at home and we flashed to him and the cattle is complete very very complete type of cattle uh i still using him i probably when i use him again this fall um, you know, I, I, uh, such a, it's a great semen producer. So, um, Landy at Hoover Angus, uh, used the bull because sometimes you need to, you know, the bulls live in the stall. Sometimes you got to freshen them up and, and, uh, send them to walk and all the stuff. So Landy liked them enough that she, she used some natural service and a lot of the cows and her calves are coming and they're pretty good. So. If you have to vouch for something, you know, uh, Landy sold the bull and, and decided that was a pretty good bull to use. Zoom. Zoom is, Zoom is legit. 
I, I really liked him. Uh, you know, Dan does a great job. Uh, you know, great view angles there in South Dakota. Um, Zoom seems like it have a CPD for versus somewhere around three, but the calves are smaller. They're, I would assume his CPD is going to land somewhere around two because it has zero problem calving the chest, you know, natural average. Uh, also a bull with great disposition, probably a little bit more moderate. He's probably going to land somewhere around. Uh, and the progeny is, you know, the, the calves were born here this spring and they look great. Um, I, I'm really tickled to the bull. I, I used them. We flushed to him. Some of those embryos are being born right now for a bull. We, we calve in spring and fall at home. Uh, calves are pretty good. And um, there in South Dakota, that's a whole bunch and they look pretty good. They really do. Now here we're going to dis- discuss a couple of uh, newer bulls. EA Cruiser, basically from Darren Lewis again, but it's Grand Angus, GA Cruiser. I hate to be repetitive, but this bull produces halosemen. So right now he's standing here in my paddock. I'm going to turn him loose here uh, for fall breeding. Uh, Wait, did he you is say, pretty you, Do you have Cruiser at your place? Yes, sir. Wow. Okay. You know, he produced, he produced quite a uh, quite a bit of semen, so you know we manage our inventory. So he was turned out in big country in uh, Wyoming, and I just came from Wyoming uh, Saturday. I picked the bull up and I just freshened him up a little bit here, and I'm gonna turn him loose here another month. Uh, great feet, great feet, good cavities, very complete. Um, I really like the bull. How big is he? How big is he? He's probably gonna be. Somewhere around there, five eight to five nine. Oh, okay. I thought they'd um, be a little bigger than that. No, no, he's not. He's not as big. Um, so I, I think that you know, with my cattle, the production I'm gonna get, they're gonna be somewhere around frame six. So my cattle is a little bit. So I, I try to keep it there. If he's cavity, it just kind of complements what we do here at home. So, uh, I, I, you know, I like bulls with great. Actually, I love cattle with great position. Because we rotate pastures, we use a lot of electric wires. It looked like Jurassic Park, so I don't need any cattle. Any cattle that's going to, you know, run and go through the fences and all that stuff is, I kind of leave, you know, when I bought this place, we were, uh, oh, maybe five miles from town. Well, town is only about a mile. So I'm surrounded by houses and stuff. I don't need my cattle getting out. So... Uh, docility is is a it's a great asset for us, and and these kind of bulls just fit right in. I just uh, when I went and loaded, I opened the trailer, cruised, load up by himself. Yesterday I was moving cattle, and I had to move him around. I opened a gate, he went through it. I never had to chase him. It's a sweet bull to have around, and I think he's, you know, the progeny we see, he's gonna be legit. All right, and then the new star at Alta Beef Oaks Bull Ruler. You know, Bull Ruler, we just had our first one. Um, I think he has a great pedigree. A T220 is a uh, 30A special daughter. They have produced tremendously and has several bulls that done well. You know, he he is the star. A lot of the, a lot of the people, a lot of the big name breeders have used him. You know, like here, Vintage Angus, just pretty close to where we live. They they use the bull and. Uh, you know, many, many, many breeders have used them and progeny is coming right now. So we have high hopes. 
you know, confidence that Confidence Plus had done a job. They're more moderate. When you look at Confidence Plus progeny, they, they tend to be a little moderate. But when you had that 30 special and you know, coming from his MT2, um, this is a good combination. You know, you're going to have white hips, a good feet, uh, deep ribs. Oh, I'm pretty tickled to see uh, progeny coming um, and it start coming now. So, you know, uh, there's several bulls and a lot of people, uh, you know, have used the progeny coming from, from the T220 cows. So I, I, I'm pretty excited about him too. Actually, we have another up and coming son, the T20 cow by Iconic, and we call him uh, Influence. He's a Seven Oak Influence. Okay. He's at the starting buildings, um, and he is an outstanding individual. All right. Before we go, why don't you go ahead and give us the dates? You got some bulls going up for sale here through some different consignments and some different bull tests. Give us the dates of when you got coming up for sale. You know, our our first sale here will be uh, on uh, Sunday the 17th at Visalia, and then we have our tool on October 1st and then the next day, and, you know, right after that, we have our car poly cell uh, and the bull test there at car poly. When, so, when's that one? What's the date on that one? For October 1st. October 1st. And then you're going to have some up at Midland again? We will have, uh, the, I think the day for Midland is April 4th uh, and we, we, you know, we took, uh, we took 10 bulls up to, to Midland. So. And how can someone reach you for private treating? You know, Private treaty, actually, since when we've been around so long, we we sell both CS through the year. Uh, fortunately for us in, in California, there's a lot of, I guess you can say the uh, the fall breeding season is a little larger, but we have a very large spring breeding season as well. So it's pretty complete. So right now, after all that, I, I think I have, I think we have 67 bulls this year. I think I have um, three bulls left. And a guy just called me, the guy did, uh, I buy hay from here. They say, hey, you have any good Cavanese bulls? I said, well, I got a couple. They're not on the sale. And she said, I said, you know, if you don't want to come, I'll bring you one. If you don't like it, I'll take them back. Mm. So, but we're we're down to the wire now because usually people start turning out here for fall breeding around November. All right, Roger. Well, hey, thank you for coming in and doing this. I appreciate it very much.